Robert, you can be seated. I was sort of laughing, you know, people say, oh, the, you know, the old ways of outreach don't work anymore. Have you ever noticed what people wanting to get elected to office do? They hold signs on busy corners. They knock doors. They send out mailers. And I'm like, it doesn't work anymore. Well, now they go on TV. I guess we'll have you'll have to I'll have to get on TV now. <laughs> You're like, Pastor, you got a face made for radio. Amen. All right. That's why a lot of guys <laughs> come on now. All right. I think we went too far on that one. Anyway, no, all right. Second Peter chapter three, if you would with me. I just I thought that was uh, just a thought I've had this week. You know, sometimes we uh we give all kinds of reasons of why we can't do what we ought to do, and not that everybody is going to do all of those things, but, you know, the, day is, the days are short. Uh, I believe, as the parable of the, the, the vineyard, we are in the 11th hour, I think, was prayed, right? I mean, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and uh, we see just a world. Could you imagine, though, this is the world with believers and the work of the Holy Spirit restraining evil. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? When that restraint is removed, when that restraining force is no longer, that restraining work of God is no longer present. I mean, just the atrocities that took place on October 7th in Israel, the murder and destruction and just the, just the gross terrorism uh, that, was, that was seen. Uh, you say, that's terrible. It is terrible. That is nothing to be, that we have not even plumbed the depths of man's wickedness of his heart. And, uh, and it's amazing, I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm reading a book on um, the rise of, of Nazi Germany, and I'm, I am amazed at how quickly people embraced the vileness and the wickedness of Adolf Hitler as a nation. They, 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 they were the majority party, and he came into, you could, lawfully he came into power lawfully and people just embraced it well why because it was for them it was all about them selfishness when a nation rejects god it's amazing what can happen it's hurtful but understand this god always has the last laugh we're going to be in second peter three i want you to turn to a couple scriptures though keep your finger there and let's go to the book of psalms Psalm 2 is a, is a psalm that is written and really is a prophecy, an end times prophecy. And um, <laughs> how that this world and the rulers of this world are coming together and will come together to fight against God. Because man, man wants nothing to do with God. And we see that in Romans chapter 3. But it says this in Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What they see as a restraint of evil is they see as a restraint of their freedom. They don't want that. They don't want to be restrained. They don't want God slowing them down. He that sitteth in the heavens shall what? Shall laugh. He shall laugh. Because he alone, he sees how foolish it is. The Lord shall have them in derision. 
confusion. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet, despite the machinations of this world and these earthly kings coming against God, he says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That is Jesus Christ. He's returning. The day of the Lord draweth nigh. And when I say the day of the Lord, that includes the rapture, the time of Jacob's trouble, and his final return to establish his kingdom. That moment is coming. It is shortly upon us. You say, do you have a date? No, because we don't know. The, we're going to see here in a moment, Peter was anticipating it. He's like, man, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen quick. And they've been waiting. And, and, uh, but understand this, no matter what we see, God laughs I knew I was going to mess this up. God laughs last. Psalm 52. And if I totally tongue twist it today, bear with me. Psalm 52, he says, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good. And that is the problem. People say, well, I just, there's not enough evidence. No, you just love your evil. You love your sin. Let's just get real clear. You choose to reject God, even though it is abundantly evident to you that he exists. Why do you reject God? Why does man reject God? Because you love your evil. You love your sin. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, see law. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living, see law. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. So God laughs, laughs last. The righteous laughed last. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. That's man. But God laughs last. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's go there. Peter's writing this letter to believers. It's the second letter that he's written. Hence, 2 Peter. And the purpose of the letter is to encourage and to remind the believers of who they are in Christ. The fact that there are false teachers and prophets that uh, they've always existed. And they seek to lure you and deceive you and to draw you away from truth. And then we come to chapter 3. In verse 1 he says, This second epistle, beloved... I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And so Peter says, I've got a purpose in writing you this letter. I want to remind you and I want to stir up your memories to be mindful of all that you've learned, all that you've known, all that you've found in the Word of God that has been given to you by His prophets, His preachers, His apostles. The apostle is just simply someone who is personally right, sent forth by Jesus Christ to bear witness of Him. 
There are no more apostles today. No one is personally being commissioned by Jesus Christ and sent forth to bear witness to him, right? But the apostles, right, were those men, and they, right, were given. Jesus gave them a promise. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to bring all these things to your remembrance, and you're going you're to write them down. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm going to give you, right? And, and so we have our New Testament written by these men. And, and associates of these men. Uh, and we see God giving us these truths. And he says, I want to place you in remembrance of those things. To be mindful of the words. And what does it mean to be mindful? People talk about exercising mindfulness. Right? It's just slowing down and thinking. Right? About things. Not just, right, in one ear, out the other. But Right? Really considering and meditating and thinking. And what is Peter saying? He says, I'm writing you these things that you would be mindful, that you would take uh, upon yourself great consideration of the truths that you've been given. What we have here is we have three things that I notice. And I'll be honest, this was a message. I, I, I really was going to preach something else, and I'm actually going to bring that this afternoon. But uh, this is what the Lord gave me this morning. And so I want to challenge you with this and understand this. God always laughs last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. I pray, pray for help. Uh, Lord, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to be a hindrance to the power of your Holy Spirit and your word working in the hearts each here today. Lord, thank you for the blessed reminders that I've received in considering this, this text. And Lord, the help that I know it will be. And so I'm asking God that your Holy Spirit would carry forth and do the work that you've said he would do. And we're pleading for your work and your hand, Lord, to be evident today as it to work upon the hearts of each here, especially those who don't know the Savior, Lord, who are, for whatever reason, Lord, choosing to reject, Lord, the truth of the gospel. Draw them again today, I, I pray. Lord, convict them, I ask. And Lord, for those in here that are believers, may we understand that these truths have an impact on us as well. And you have a calling and you have expectations for us. And I pray that we would embrace those as your dear children. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I don't deserve to be your child. <laughs> but thank you for making me your child through Jesus Christ. We ask your blessings to be upon this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to notice that Peter reminds them of a few things here. And he comes to chapter 3 and he says in verse number 3, knowing this first. All right, what's the first thing that Peter is challenging them to remember, to, to consider? Number one, he says, I want you to consider that there is scoffers. And he rebukes them. He says in verse number 3, he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and don't we live in an age of the scoffer the mocker those who would deride the truth of the word of god and not just even among the lost the world but even among the church in general they mock the truth of god's word they mock when we preach thus saith the lord they look at that and say boy you need to get with the times you need to understand, hey, you know what? We live in a different age. This is just too old-fashioned for us. No one's going to understand that. We live in an age of great scoffing, great mockery. Oh, God, help us to not be mockers. Help us to not deride 
Thus saith the Lord, but to embrace it. But he says, there will be, know this, know this, believers, there will be scoffers in those last days. And we live in a day of scoffing. We live in a day where, and you know what, maybe not outwardly, even here today, you may be someone, you're not outwardly scoffing the word of God, but as I preach the truth of God's word, I want to challenge you, what's your attitude towards it? You may be mocking it in your heart, scoffing it in your heart, oh, that old-fashioned, that crazy preacher, and I'm a little crazy sometimes, I'll give you that, it's okay, that's why I ask the Lord to be lifted up, don't, don't let it be me. We're in trouble if I get lifted up today. Jesus has to be lifted up. And we live in a day of scoffing. Let's look at the, the character of these scoffers. Number one, they walk after their own lust. What is the scoffer all about? Themselves. What they want. Right? And what is lust? Lust is anything that goes against right the clear principles of the Word of God. God, I want more than what you've ordained. We look at that in, in the idea of, of, of sexuality, of right? What is man? God says, okay, I'm going to set boundaries for sexuality. It's within the confines of the marriage relationship. Lust says, I want more than that. I want to go beyond that. Lust says, you know what? God, you're restraining me. God, you're restricting me. Just like I read, right, in Psalm 52. But God, you're keeping something good from me. And that's really the attitude in the garden, was it not? Eve looked at the tree. And she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it would make her wise. She saw that it would, right, in, in her mind and listening to the lies of Satan. Really, what was God doing in the garden in Eve's perspective? God, you're keeping something good for me. That's exactly how Satan tempted her. You know what? God doesn't, God has lied to you. That's what Satan said. Half God said, remember that? And that's man. Man in his natural state looks at the boundaries that God has set, right? The things that God has created and said is good. And they say, God, you're keeping good from me. Instead of being blessed and rejoicing in the good that they have. Every good gift comes from above. From the Father of life. In whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good thing you have, God has given it to you. Whether you acknowledge it or not. But see, the scoffer, the character of the scoffer is they don't want to put themselves within the boundaries of what God has said. No, they look at God as God is keeping them from something and they follow their own lust. What's good for me is what I want. What's good for me is what I desire. And we live in that age and that is the natural state of man. They don't seek God's will. They don't fear God. They seek to do what? To satisfy themselves. So these scoffers, the Bible says that they walk after their own lust. And in walking after their own lust, they begin, number two, to question God. Verse four. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? He says he's coming back. Where's he at? Where's this promise that he's made? He has not kept his promise. They question God. And you know what? That's right in line with the strategy of Satan. He questions God. He questions God's goodness. He questions God's sovereignty. He questions the very deity of God. Is he really God? Is he really true? Is his word, can his word really be depended upon? So we see their character as 
walking after their own lust, questioning God. Where is the promise of his coming? Verse 4, for since the fathers, right, those, right, fathers, what he means by fathers is not their dad, biologically, but those, right, Old Testament prophets, the ones who proclaimed his return. Since the fathers fell asleep, since they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now that's a lie. And Peter's getting ready to expose that lie because things haven't continued as they were since the beginning of creation. What they're saying is, you know what? Nothing's changed. He says he's coming back, but nothing's changed. They question God. They walk after their own lust. But thirdly, they willingly ignore the evidence. And that may be where you are today. You just want to fulfill your lust. And really, who's to blame the sinful man? Go to Romans Romans chapter 1, keep your finger there in our text. Paul describes the state of the natural man. He describes the state of the man without God. He goes on and describes the state of the moral man and the religious man as well. All three, without God. And you know what? They're all sinners. <laughs> no matter how good they look like on the outside. That's what Paul's trying to get across in chapters 1 through 3. This is man. You want to see the state of man? Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does he say? He says, you have the truth, but you possess it in unrighteousness. Now look at verse number 19. Because that, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. See, that's man. Man knows. Man is going to be without excuse on that day of judgment because God has revealed himself generally in creation, generally through the conscience, through morality, right? Just the simple fact that uh, it's not a great ontological argument, right, is what they call it. The fact that they're, right, people believe there's a God means there is one. Because where'd that knowledge come from? You look at creation. You look at just the very intricacies of our body and its design. Yet people have, it takes greater faith to believe this all came about because of some random chaos. Every house that I've ever been in had a designer. Now, I challenge you. I, I mean, really. Let's be empirical, okay? You know what I mean by empirical? Let's go try it. Let's see if it works. I want you to go to Home Depot, and I'd like you to buy enough material to make a house. I want you to go get the cement. I want you to get the two-by-fours. I want you to get the sheeting and the insulation. I want you to get the siding. I want you to get the, the roofing, the shingles, the, the felt paper, the nails, the screws, the piping, the, elect, the, 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 the copper electric, right? The, the, the wires, copper electric, wow, wires, that's what they're called. You can tell I'm not a construction guy, huh? That's, yeah, go, I mean, get it all. I want you to have them deliver it truck after truck to your job site. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just go in there and just start throwing it in the air. House! Okay, we laugh because we, how ridiculous is that? And yet man is willing to embrace this nonsense that because of some cosmic big bang, 
that we have what we see today, such intricate designs. Oh, there is a creator, and you know it. If you're sitting here today, and you're saying, oh, you're, you're, in your heart, maybe you're not doing it outwardly, but in your heart, you're sort of crossing your arms at me, you know what I'm saying is true. See, you hold the truth in unrighteousness. See, God is manifest in you. You know he exists. So what's the challenge? The challenge is, is that you are willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant of God. I want you to look back to our text in 2 Peter chapter 3 and saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's the questioning. Okay, where's God? He said he's coming back. He's not returned. He must not, uh, he must not exist. He must not be real. He must not be one, a God who keeps his word. Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. They are willingly ignorant of this fact. Number one, that God spoke the world into existence. Verse 5, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. All that we enjoy today, God spoke it into existence. There's a scientific law that says matter, matter is neither created nor destroyed. Correct? So how did it get here? Well, I believe, I believe. Okay, let's just go ahead and be really honest. All that you believe about the origins of our world, our universe, you believe by faith. Because you cannot, nor can I, reproduce what we say happened. Well, the experts. I don't know if, I'm tired of experts. The last three years have shown me the experts can be really, really wrong. And there are a lot of things that go into influencing the experts. Could it be that the experts themselves don't want to submit to God? And so guess what? They have every incentive to say, well, the science says. Science has become a religion because it has been, it's faith-based. So don't, don't say, I'm scientific. No, you're a faith. You're a person of faith. Because if you believe that God did not create the world, but that it came into existence in any other way, then you're taking that by faith because you can't prove it and you can't reproduce it. Just as much as it takes faith to believe what God has said, that he spoke it into an existence. And in your heart, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and speak to the conscience that God has given you, the knowledge that he has placed in you, you know it. You may want to resist it, you may want to reject it, you may want to question it, but in the deepest recesses of your heart and your mind, you know what I'm saying is true. They're willingly ignorant, willingly ignorant. The scripture says, not that just God spoke the world into existence, but that God destroyed the world with the flood. Look at verse 6. It hasn't continued from the same, from the beginning of creation. In fact, not too long after creation, in the grand scheme of things, God destroyed it. Look at verse number 6. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, what? Perished. God brought destruction upon the world. Why? Why did God destroy the world? Let's answer that question. The scripture tells us. Because the thought of man was evil continually. They said, we don't want God. God repented that he made man. But God, in his mercy, 
didn't want to entirely destroy his creation. And so what did he create? He laid upon the heart of Noah, a preacher of righteousness. For, get this, people say, how could God do that? How could God destroy the world that way? Do you realize that God, for 120 years, God had Noah preach, judgment is coming. That is longer than, well, back then people lived a lot longer due to different reasons, but that's longer than most people's lifetime, almost everyone's lifetime today. For 120 years, Noah preached, judgment is coming. For 120 years, in the middle of the field that Noah's building the ark, this monument to God's judgment was being erected. And what did men do? They scoffed. They scorned. They said, you're crazy, Noah. I've not said Moses yet, have I? I do that sometimes. Moses built the ark. Moses, Moses. No, it's Noah. Now, see, I'm going to mess myself up. And now you're messed up for the rest of the day. All right. Noah, a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. Not 120 days. Not even 120 months. I mean, that would be great. 120 years. Will you ever get discouraged in the work of God? Just remember Noah. I said it, Noah. Good. All right. And those people rejected it. They scoffed. They scorned. And you know what? Judgment came. I have to imagine as the rain began to fall, which they hadn't experienced in that way before, as the waters began to rise. Could you imagine the heartbreak that Noah and his family endured hearing the cries? After God shut the door, God sealed them into the ark. And see, so you're here today and you're scoffing. I, I don't want you to. I, I don't take any, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I just want to challenge you. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now. So, so what about now? Okay, yeah. Okay, pastor, maybe I can accept what you're saying by faith. But why is God hanging on now? Why isn't it just returned? I mean, look at all the wickedness around us. Why would he allow that? Because God is long-suffering. He's giving man, just like he gave man 120 years to repent under the preaching of Noah, he's giving our world year after year to hear and heed the warning. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now that, that which we see today, by the same word, the very word that spoke it into existence, the same word that caused the flood to come, are by that same word are kept in store, held reserved under fire that's what's coming and as your preacher of righteousness amen my righteousness that i have is given to me by jesus christ i do not have i am unrighteous in myself he has given me righteousness and i'm preaching his righteousness to you and god is going to be righteous to destroy this world because man continually rejects him they push against him. Read the book of Revelation. Even when they know God is bringing wrath upon them, what do they do? They refuse to acknowledge him. That's just man's, that's his heart. There's none that seeketh after God. Romans 3 tells us that. Whether they're un immoral, moral, or religious, no man seeks after God. Now get this. He says this. He has reserved this world, these heavens, this earth, unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition. Perdition is the idea of destruction of what? 
ungodly men. What's the character of the scoffer? Well, they are concerned about satisfying themselves, walking after their own lust. They desire and they question God. They willingly ignore the evidence. And truthfully, they fail to see God's plan. Even though it's as clear as day in front of their face. Judgment is coming. I'm just going to state it plain. Judgment is coming. All will be judged. It is appointed in a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. That's what God says. Now you can deny it. You can ignore it. But you're doing so willingly. You're, doing, you're making a choice today, my friend. And I come with care. I come as a believer who was in the same situation you were. But I was religious, but I was still an unbeliever. I was not born again. I was still unrighteous. I'm thankful that as a young teenager at 13, I, God, God came through and shone through the blindness that enshrouded my heart and mind as a teenager. And showed me just because I went to church and just because I had prayed some prayer, that didn't make me a Christian. It wasn't until I came to a place where I believed in my heart and called upon him to save me, that he did. So I don't stand here in judgment. I don't stand here condemning you. Your own heart condemns you, as it did me. The word of God condemns you. His law condemns you, as it does me. And so I come with concern. He says there are those, those scoffers, they fail. They refuse to see God's plan, that there's a day of judgment and destruction coming for those who refuse to fear God. That's what ungodliness is. God says, I'm real. This is my standard of holiness. And you know what? There's judgment coming. And the lost person says, I don't fear that. I don't fear that. You ought to. Don't be a scoffer. Here's the beauty of the salvation is there's a Savior, number two, returning. He's returning. Let's look at our text. Verse number eight. What does he say? He says, but beloved. And again, he's speaking to believers here, but I think there's a message for those who aren't. He says, beloved, believers, right? Be not ignorant of this one thing. Yeah, there will be scoffers. Yeah, they'll be questioning. Yeah, they'll be doubting. Yeah, they'll be, right, rejecting. But don't be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. See, God stands and he's outside of our concept of time. He's in a whole other dimension. I won't get into that today. But he's waiting. His timing is not our timing. But he's coming back. His promise is sure. Verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not one who makes a promise and then proceeds to break it or to lie. He is not slack concerning this promise. He is returning. He is coming back. As some men count slackness, right? Men say, well, because he hasn't returned in this time frame, because all these things haven't happened in my lifetime, then it must not be true. No, God is not slack concerning his promise. So why does he delay? I want to tell you because he, he is good. And he is patient. And he is not willing that any should perish. And we see that God keeps his promise. And God is patient. And he is long-suffering to us word. 
not willing that any should perish. If you're here today and you believe in the doctrines of Augustine, Augustine and Calvin, that God in some way chooses and ordains some to go to hell, that is a devilish doctrine. It is a lie from the pits of hell. And I mean that. That's not just a euphemism. I mean it. Because it, it slanders the character of the God of the Bible. That God, can you, okay, I want you to just really embrace this. You that are parents, you that are grandparents, the doctrine of Calvinism says this, you will have grandkids possibly that God has already written off and said they're going to hell. Embrace it, Brother Zach. Yeah. But our souls are so precious. And 2 Peter 3, 9, what does he say? He is not willing that what? Any should perish. Well, they say any that are elected. No, you're reading into the text. Come on, let's be honest. It says what it says. And I thank God that I serve him, that he is true, that he is loving, that he is merciful, that he doesn't want anyone to die and be separated from him in eternity in hell. That's the God I serve. And take great hope in that, believer. Take great hope in that, and even for those family members and friends and those who seemingly reject God over and over again. He doesn't want them to die and go to hell. And that's why I pray, and we've even prayed for you today, if you're here and don't know the Savior, that God would again work in your heart today. We're calling on Him to be merciful and gracious to you, just like He was to us. He's not willing that any should perish. He is patient. He is long-suffering because of his nature of love. He desires that all would repent, that all would turn. Stop thinking their way and agree with him. God, you're right. What's, what's repentance? Repentance is a change of mind. It's metaneo is the Greek word. It literally means to turn and go a different direction. So it begins in the mind and heart, right? It's saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, the direction I've been going is entirely wrong. Thinking I'm good enough, thinking that, you know what? I, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no God. God, I've been wrong. You're right. Well, that's the hardest thing for a person to do. God, I'm wrong, you're right. Well, I'm not wrong. How ignorant and proud is that statement? If you're married, I'll just go ahead and ask your spouse. And if you could be, we could be wrong about the silliest things, can't we? And yet we think we've got it figured out when it comes to God. We know more than Him. But He's not willing that you should perish. If you're here today, the Savior does not want you to go to hell. He wants you to repent. He wants you to hear what you're being said, told today. He wants you to repent. He wants you to say, God, you're right. I am a sinner. I do deserve hell. You do exist. There is a judgment. And he wants you to respond to the Savior, to the gospel, which is this, that Jesus came. He was born. He lived. And then at the age of 32, 33 years old, not because of anything he had done, he willingly was taken and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. Because sin, sin requires payment. The wages of sin is death. And you know, God says it's got to be paid for either way. 
You could pay for your own sin through your own death, or you can accept the payment that's already been made in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. He came, he died, he shed his blood, he was buried, he died, died, he dead, dead. He didn't swoon, he didn't faint, he died, he was buried. But death could not hold him. Three days, and that's why we celebrate our, we worship on Sundays. On the first day of the week, he arose. A victor over sin, a victor over death. The overcomer. And he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. That's the gospel. He died for you. He paid sin's penalty for you. And all that God calls on you to do is call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as many as received Christ, him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. As many as right called on his name. That's repentance. God, I can't do it. God, you're right. God, my way is wrong. Jesus saved me. It's that simple. The hard part is saying, God, I'm wrong. God, I'm a sinner. God, I do deserve hell. God, your word is right. The only one that can save me is Christ alone. And he alone, not through your own works, not through your own merit. You go to heaven and you stand before God saying, God, look at the good I've done. God's going to say, not good enough. Not good enough. You offend the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it in God's eyes. I mean, the punishment's the same. You say, well, all I've done is, Pastor, just tell little white lies. Guess what? The wages of sin is death. Again, it's repenting. It's saying, God, you're right. And we go back and we see this. God, last, last, last he, he, he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to die. But if you're going to scoff him, if you're going to push back against him, if you're going to say, I don't want him, he'll make that true for you. People struggle with this idea. Why, why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. You choose it. You choose it. See, God's not going to force himself on you. God's not going to say, you're going to be my child. No, he wants you to choose him, just as he wanted Adam and Eve to choose to obey him. They didn't. But even in that, he was merciful. Even in that, he said, you know what, I'll provide salvation for you. Adam believed because he changed. Uh, Eve wasn't originally called Eve. How would you like this, ladies? Her name was woman. Hmm. Her husband called her woman. You know, Adam was... A typical guy, you know, anyway. But after God gave him the promise of a Savior, you know what? Adam changed his wife's name to Eve. You know what Eve means? Woman is taken out of man. Eve means what? Mother of all living. He believed God. And that's why I'm calling you today. If you're there, you say, I don't like being called a scoffer. Then don't be. Embrace the truth. Say, God, you're right. See, you love your sin. You love your evil. You love your way. Get this. His return will be sudden. If you look in verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. That's the reality. That's what's coming See, for the believer, it doesn't come on us as a thief in the night because we're looking. 
We're anticipating. I, I love that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We're, and there's a crown, by the way, believer, for those who look and love his appearing. See, it, if he came today, you shouldn't be surprised if you're a Christian. <gasps> right? You shouldn't be like it was in the days of Noah, eating, drinking, giving in marriage, right? No. You're living today like he's coming back. And lost person, that's how you're living. You're living like you got tomorrow. You're living like you got another year. You're living like you got 60 or 70 or 80 years. And, and God says you don't. Don't be foolish. But what ought to be the saint's response? Let me give you a couple last thoughts. Verse 11. Knowing this, believer, knowing this, what manner, what type of person, how have, should you to behave? This is verse 11. Ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. You know what? Understanding that there's a judgment coming, understanding that he is returning, should motivate us to be different. We're not as the ignorant. We're not as those who sleep. We're not as those of the night. We are children of the day. He could come back today. I was thinking about that as I'm driving in. Oh, man, wouldn't that be a blessing? Lord, come back today. That's how we ought to think, believer. And in thinking that way, anticipating his return, knowing that we're going to give an answer, not for our salvation, he has settled that, but for what we have done for him. You want to know more about that? Go to 1 Corinthians 3. There are two judgments. There's one for the believers and there's one for the lost. Right? And in that is... Judgment of the nations, judgment of those who sleep, those who are alive. We can get into that. But there's a judgment for the believer. And what are, how are we to live now? We read that. What do we do now? Knowing that we will be like him, what do we do? 1 John 3, verse 3. We purify ourselves even as he is pure. What's the word purify? Well, it's the word holiness. Holiness means pure, set apart. Brothers and sisters... You say, man, get them lost people, pastor. Rah! All right, your turn. You ready? Why do we live in such a way that shows that we really don't believe he's returning? Our lamps are not all trimmed and bright. We are as the foolish virgins who lack, who are not ready, who are not anticipating his return. And he says, because we know this, because we are not children of the night, because we're not as those who sleep, we know he's coming back. What manner of persons ought we to be? Holy. Hol That's not popular today, preach holiness. It means to be set apart to him. We are not to be like this world in any way. And not just in the outward, but in the inward, the thinking, the things we love, the things we're pursuing. He calls on us to be holy in our conversation, to be godly, and that is an imitator of God. That's what it means to be godly, right? What does that mean? Godliness is what? I live to imitate him. I live to walk according to his example. And they go hand in hand. Holiness and godliness go together because be holy, he says, as what? Go to 1 Peter. Peter tells the believers this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 14. Verse 13. It's the same theme. 
1 Peter 1.13, just one book over, 1 Peter 1.13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Meaning, stop being so undisciplined in your thinking. Focus. You ever had someone say it to you? Focus. It's, it's like, Dave, I'm going to do this to you. It's like God, Peter's like coming to the believers and say, focus. Right? You ever do that to your kids? Focus. That's what he's saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Assume a fighting posture in your mind. Understand, there is something important you need to get a hold of here. That's how most believers, that's how sometimes, a lot of times I walk. No, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Focus. What's he say? Be sober. Serious-minded and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are we hoping for? He's coming back. I can't wait. Oh, what a day that'll be. Right? It could be today. It could be today. What's he say? 14. Doing what? As we look, as we hope, as obedient children. He's coming back. (laughs) He's coming back. I mean, you'll be obedient. I'm his child. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Hey, guess what? You're, 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 you need to stop making excuses for the works of the flesh. Well, that's just, you know, I just have a jealousy problem. Get it right. Jesus is the overcomer, and he gives you the grace to overcome. Stop embracing it. Oh, but I like my jealousy, Pastor. My anger, it fulfills a need for me. Well, you're fashioning yourself according to the former lusts. Look what he says. But as he which hath called you is what? Holy. So be holy in all manner of conversation. And here's what I want to challenge you. A lot of times as preachers, as independent Baptists, we get up and we rail on the outward. Inwardly, it's like a bunch of... Whited sepulch- we're whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. There's no holiness in the heart. There's no purity in the heart. We're really working. We have a, we have a, we have an, end- uh, uh, I hate to use the word pandemic, endemic. We have a problem with purity in our churches. And not just with men, but with women. Come on. Women like, yeah, the men, you How many of those godless, perverted romance novels are you reading? Come on, your soap operas, your real housewives. That's wrong? Yeah. What does that do that feeds your flesh? God's standard of purity is up here. He entertains none of it. Not even a thought. He said, calls us to, 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 to live his standard of purity, not our own. You and I will come up with a standard, and it'll be loosey-goosey all over the place. We're called to be holy as He is holy. We're called to live according to His standard, not our own. And we're to do so anticipating His return. And that will affect your outward. But it starts here. If it doesn't start here, if all we're doing is fashioning people to follow like robots a certain standard of holiness outwardly, then we are failing as parents and I'm failing as a pastor. It's got to begin here. God, your standard of holiness is what's more important. And guess what? That comes out. You will be different in how you dress and how you speak and the things that entertain you. 
Because guess what? This is changing. So this will change. This will change. Amen? This will change. We do so knowing he's coming back. We holiness, godliness, and we look, we desire. That's the word hasting there. We, we're like, Lord, do you actually desire his return? I mean, I mean it. And don't, don't answer it out loud, but do you desire it? You say, well, I do. Okay, well, let's actually see what you've spent your time doing and thinking about. Preparing? Witnessing? Right? Eagerly wanting to learn more about him? Growing in your faith? Growing to be more like him? See, I think if we're honest, there's a very little desire for him to return because it's seen in what we pursue, what's important. We've come and we've, and I've, I've confessed this sin to you before, we fall into serving mammon, not seeking his kingdom, not seeking first his kingdom, but mammon, money. You say, money's bad? No, no, no. But when that becomes your objective, do you see the difference? That becomes your objective. Instead of saying, God, thank you for the job I have. I'm looking to you to provide our needs. And whatever work you give me, I'm glad to do it. I want to be wise in my selections. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, we don't just say, well, whatever. We're going to live on welfare. No. We work. But that doesn't become the objective. Do you see the difference? And we hope. We hope. Looking for hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth. That's the hope we have, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, what a day that will be when he's on the throne. And guess what? He's ruling with a rod of iron. And you know what the standard is? His righteousness. Verse 14, I'm done. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such thing. Is that true? Can, can, okay, let's just stop there. Believer, it could, could that be said? Would Peter have said that about Faith Baptist Church? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. Is that actually true? May it be. God, change our thinking. Lord, help us to recognize. Hey, by the way, I said this last week, I'll say it again. If you came today and say, I... Man, you're, that's harsh. Listen, God's word is going to challenge your thinking. Why come? I've said it before. If you want to just have yourself confirmed, all your biases and wrong thinking confirmed, and your right thinking confirmed, just go ahead and just get onto Facebook and just ask people what they think. Go follow the people that do what you do. If what we want as believers is our thinking to be challenged, this is what we need. This is why you got to be, I got to be in it every day. Because my thinking goes wrong so quick. Maybe yours doesn't. Mine does. And God's word, that's wrong. That thinking's wrong. That course of action's wrong. And then I repent. And then I say, Lord, you're right. And then guess what? Some, sometimes it's the very next day. I'm thinking wrong again. But what does God's word do? It serves to challenge me. And that's why we're here today. God, stop me in my tracks. Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Lord, I want to change because I want to be like Jesus. You're coming back. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. 
that you may be found in, of him in peace without spot and blameless. Jesus makes us righteous, but he purifies us. He's constantly, right, working in us, drawing us, making us more into his image. And thank God for that. Hey, are you ready? See, God's going to laugh last. You may scoff, you may scorn, you may deride what you hear and the truth, and you may say, ah, please don't. Hear what he says. Believe him. Christ came, he died for your sins. So you don't have to pay for them yourself. He paid for you. And he did so willingly, knowingly. Not just as a moral example, but as a perfect substitutionary atonement he through his sacrifice on the cross and he alone is the only one that can remove the wrath of God from you and your sin because he takes your sin and becomes his own and then he this is amazing he gives you his righteousness wow but let's stop fooling ourselves well I just don't believe I just don't I, I have questions no let's just get real the reason you reject Christ is because you love your sin and your pride. And I say this to you out of love as your pastor. And I'm glad you're here. And even if you're not a member, I consider myself to be your pastor. All right? And God is being so long-suffering with all of us. Just like he was with that pre-flood society that heard Noah preach for 120 years. You don't want to be on the outside of the ark when judgment comes. Are you ready? Believer, this is the moment where we need to let God. I, I, I didn't really go into specifics, but isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit will put his finger on very specific things in your life? What are you going to do about that now, believer? Are you going to just sort of just put that? Don't want to deal with that right now. Or are you going to embrace it and say, Lord, you're right. And begin by actually now responding to him in prayer. Say, Lord, I admit it. I confess it. The Christian life is a repentance life, by the way. That's a constant process of God showing me where I'm off and me saying, God, you're right. Give me the grace to change. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful he doesn't leave me in my error, in my ignorance. But he grows me because he loves me. With heads bowed and eyes closed.